You're listening to Sins of Detroit, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Detroit News. Season 1, Motor City Injustice, a look at wrongful convictions that started with investigations by the Detroit Police Department. Episode 3, Devante Sanford's Road to Freedom, Part 2. This case is, the only word I could use if is corruption and a system that fails you. My son served nine years for a crime he didn't even commit. Within six months, they had the right man, the hit man. Vincent Smothers came to them and told them, you have the wrong guy. This little kid didn't do these killings. These, this little guy didn't do, this little boy didn't do these killings. And it didn't make a difference. I'm George Hunter, crime reporter for the Detroit News. With most of the murders I've covered over the years, the story usually ends after the defendant is convicted and sent to prison. But with the Devante Sanford case, the story was just getting started. Sanford was 15 years old and facing a sentence of 37 to 90 years in an adult prison after he says he was tricked by police into confessing to a 2007 quadruple homicide and coerced by his attorney into pleading guilty to second-degree murder. As far as police and prosecutors were concerned, this was a closed case. But then Detroit police made an arrest that opened up a whole new can of worms. Here's David Moran, head of the University of Michigan's Innocence Clinic. Just two weeks later, after Devante is sentenced to prison, the police arrested a, uh, a hitman named Vincent Smothers for a murder in Detroit. And they also arrested Vincent's wife, um, who was the mother of their young baby. And Vincent knew he was caught dead to rights. He knew he was going away for a first-degree murder. And so he told the police that his wife had nothing to do with his job as a hitman. She didn't know anything. And if they just let her go, they could turn on the camera and he would tell them about all of the hits he committed in Detroit over the past few years. And so they turned on the camera and for many hours, Vincent's mother's described in great detail the uh, various hits that he would committed as a professional hitman over the previous years. And the total was 12. And four of those 12 were the murderers of Mike Robinson and his friends on Runyon Street, for which they had just sent Devontae Sanford off to prison. Listen to this recording police made of Smothers as he calmly confesses to the murders. What did you use here? AK-47. Okay, do you know if you killed anybody in there? I'm, I'm kind of certain it was a, a chick, you know, laid out with the, with the guy. During his confession, Smothers provided accurate details about the crime scene on Runyon Street. He describes how he recruited a friend and uh, accomplice, a man named Ernest Davis, also known as Nemo, to help him commit the hit. That they used two guns, an AK-47 and a 45, which matched the ballistics found at the scene. 
he described in detail how they had killed the people, how they chased one of the victims, a woman who hid under a bed in a, in a child's bedroom, and that how he had briefly talked to her, which perfectly matched, in fact, what had happened and what she described had happened to her. Uh, he described the path that they fled from and the, the gunfire exchange with the man across the street. Um, and it explained why the dog track disappeared, because they had parked around the corner, they had run around the block, and then ran to the car and taken off, and that's where the dog track. So every detail was accurate. But he didn't just stop there. He also explained where the police could find one of the guns used in the killings, and the police, in fact, did find that gun, and it ballistically matched the bullets and shell casings that were left at Runyon Street. And he also told the police that uh, he had used the other gun in some of the other hits that he had committed, and that ballistically was proven as well, that there were ballistic matches between several of the hits that, uh, that um, Vincent Smothers had confessed to. Even in a violent city like Detroit, it was big news that police had arrested a hitman responsible for multiple murders. At first, the focus was on one of Smothers' victims, Rose Cobb, the wife of Detroit Police Sergeant David Cobb, who had promised Smothers a cut of her life insurance money if he'd kill her and make it look like a robbery. But police and prosecutors only publicly discussed eight of the murders Smothers had confessed to. They never mentioned the other four on Runyon Street. I've asked why many times, and I never got an answer. Kim Worthy declined to be interviewed for this podcast. Dave Moran has a theory why authorities kept quiet about the hitman's admission that he was responsible for the Runyon Street murders. The shocking, infuriating thing about this case is what the Detroit police and the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office did, which is they covered it up. Uh, there's just no other way to put it. Just a few weeks after now 15-year-old Devontae Sanford was sent to prison for effectively the rest of his life, they had a videotaped confession from a professional hitman that was indisputably true to him and an accomplice committing the murder and Devontae Sanford having nothing to do with it. And they covered it up. They didn't tell Devontae Sanford. They didn't tell Devontae Sanford's lawyers. And it only was about a year later that Devontae's appellate attorneys at the state appellate defender office found out about it. Somebody apparently leaked the information from the Detroit police. And about a year later, they found out about it. But in the meantime, the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office was prosecuting Vincent Smothers, not for all 12 of the murders he confessed to, but to the other eight. So obviously, they knew that he was telling the truth about these other murders, and they prosecuted him for the other eight. Uh, but they did not prosecute him for the four on Running Street, because that would have revealed that he had confessed to that one. While Smothers was first being processed through the criminal justice system, I had no idea about his connection to the Runyon killings. And later on, it came as a surprise to many people when prosecutors announced they'd reached a deal for the hitman to plead guilty to second-degree murder after they already had a detailed confession and ballistic evidence linking him to the crimes. I asked Kim Worthy at the time, and she told me it was to save taxpayers money and avoid a lengthy trial. But David Moran said he never bought that explanation. There was clearly an effort here on both the part of the prosecution and the police to cover up the Vincent's mother's confession. And so what they did was they offered him a deal 
to plead to these other eight murders, thus avoiding a trial, because if they'd had a trial, there's no question it would have come out that Vincent's mothers had also confessed to the Runyon Street killings for which they had sent away Devontae Sanford. And that would have been very embarrassing for the police and the prosecution to admit that they had sent away a 15-year-old boy for a quadruple murder he didn't commit. And so they gave him a deal and let him plead to four counts of second, or excuse me, eight counts of second-degree murder. And this is a case where you have the world's easiest prosecution for eight counts of first-degree murder. There's no better example of a first-degree premeditated murder than a hitman methodically tracking and killing his victims. But they let Vincent's mothers plead to eight counts of, of second-degree murder to avoid a trial at which it would have come out that they had wrongly convicted Devontae Sanford. So the hitman pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 50 to 100 years in prison. He didn't find out until months later that someone else had taken the rap for the four murders on Runyon. And after Sanford's attorneys found out that the hitman had confessed to those murders, they filed appeals. And that was picked up by the media, and it became a huge story, with innocence advocates decrying what they said was a gross miscarriage of justice, while Prosecutor Worthy insisted there had been no wrongful conviction. And this played out for years. Meanwhile, while all this was going on, Devontae Sanford was still trying to survive in prison. Knowing that you didn't do it, how do you get up and face every day? How, how does um, that, how do you get through I mean, something like you, you got to, yeah. you got to, you ain't, I ain't got, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have a choice, but it was hard. When somebody you love is locked up, you locked up too. And I remember one day he was like, mama, cause he never, he didn't really want to tell me a lot, but he was like, mama, only if you knew what I went through, I can just cry. Then I remember a couple of times I got the calls that he had tried to kill himself. And, you know, it was, I remember, I can imagine what he went through because I remember me sometimes not even able to have strength to get out the bed. For more Detroit crime coverage, breaking news, features, and sports, please click on www.detroitnews.com. The Detroit News, our reporting, your stories. Call 1-800-395-3300. the case dragged on for years and years in court. Eventually we got involved in 2015 and filed a motion for relief from judgment for Devontae Sanford. Before the Innocence Clinic got involved, Sanford was represented by the State Appellate Defender Office, which filed multiple motions and appeals. Sanford's attorneys also asked Vincent Smothers to take the witness stand and swear under oath that Sanford wasn't involved in the Runyon killings. And at first, Smothers declined, but he later changed his mind, although prosecutors fought his attempts and filed motions to bar him from testifying, which were granted. Smothers did sign an affidavit swearing Sanford had nothing to do with the murders. 
There were also multiple court hearings in the motions that were filed, and during one of these hearings, James Tolbert, who was now a Detroit Police Deputy Chief, testified that Devante Sanford had by himself drawn a map of the crime scene showing where the bodies were positioned. This had been cited as a key piece of evidence which proved Sanford's involvement in the murders. Nobody knew it at the time, but Talbert's testimony about the crime scene sketch would later prove to be the break Sanford and his supporters were waiting for. But for the time being, Sanford said he endured a lot of disappointment. Sometimes when I would go to court, um, I would think like, okay, this all was over. Then like, you know, I could get in the mail and get a call. Like, the judge denied this motion. This denied. It was frustrating at times. In 2015, after the Innocence Clinic filed what's known as a 6500 motion for relief from judgment in the case, Prosecutor Kim Worthy asked the Michigan State Police to reinvestigate the Devante Sanford matter. A few months later, in the spring of 2016, I got a tip from one of my best police sources who told me the state police had wrapped up their investigation and that they were going to seek murder charges against Vincent Smothers and his alleged partner, Ernest Davis, who, like Smothers, had never been prosecuted for the Runyon murders. According to my source, there was nothing in the state investigation indicating Devante Sanford was involved in the killings at all. And then a few days later, my source called back with another hot tip. State police were also planning to seek perjury charges against James Talbert who had left the Detroit police force to become the police chief in Flint, Michigan. And in June of 2016, as expected, state police wrapped up the probe. But I also got news from another source that wasn't expected. Prosecutors were about to drop the charges against Sanford, and after nearly nine years in prison, he was about to be released. So Prosecutor Kim Worthy held a press conference and made the announcement so many people had been waiting so long to hear. New information from the Michigan State Police led us to the conclusion that the interests of justice required that Mr. Sanford's convictions be set aside. Um, the drawing of the crime scene was what we, we felt, felt to be a pivotal piece of evidence. and was testified to that it was done completely in Mr. Sanford's own hand. The Michigan State Police, during the investigation that resulted as a result of my asking them to follow up, based on the new motion that had been filed in 2015, they conducted a follow-up interview with Deputy Chief Tolbert during their investigation and submitted this, this interview with, our, with their warrant requests. I want to play for you now a key part of the interview that was done with James Tolbert. So who drew the, the house here? I think I did. Okay, you drew the house. This is the house where we're lying. Okay, so you drew the house and you said, hey, show me where the bodies were. You were in there. This was the house where the bodies Okay, and so then he just draws the bodies. Right. Okay. So that's just a portion of the tape. And as you heard during this interview, Deputy Chief Tolbert, at the time of the Detroit Police Department, he uh, responded to questions that undermined his prior testimony under oath that Mr. Sanford created the sketch from a blank piece of paper. The... Result of the investigation of Michigan State Police showed us that our building blocks of this investigation were now in question. And since they are now in question, we moved to take the actions that we've taken in the last few days. 
during this hour-and-a-half press conference, Worthy defended the way her office handled the case. This wasn't a young man that made his decision to plead guilty in a vacuum. He was consistently offered a chance to speak with his family members and any other person that he wanted to speak to before he made the decision to plead guilty. In charging and prosecuting a case, my office relied on the investigations of the Detroit Police Department and the evidence gleaned therefrom. Every day our appellate division receives motions and letters from defendants and prisoners who pleaded guilty and now regret that decision. Statements under oath to the court matter and must be held in the highest regard which is why justice is not served by overturning every conviction by plea when a motion is simply received without investigation or without court scrutiny. But when the evidence undermining a conviction is discovered in a full investigation, in this case that was done by MSP, is completed, we act, and we acted. During her prepared remarks, Worthy also discussed the hitman, Vincent Smothers. There was never any testimony from Vincent Smothers in court during these post-conviction proceedings, ever. Let me also set the record straight on one other thing, kind of the evolution of Mr. Smothers' various statements and affidavits. He made several statements about the Runyon Street murders during the past eight years. He made his first statement in 2008, a few weeks after Mr. Sanford pleaded guilty and was sentenced. The first statement was vague and devoid of any real facts. And when Worthy said that, the reporters at the press conference who'd been covering this case for years exchanged glances. Because in fact, Vincent Smothers' first statement to police was far from vague. A video of his confession is posted at www.detroitnews.com. And the hitman is on video providing police with minute details about the crime, including telling them where one of the murder weapons was stashed, and ballistics proved it was indeed the murder weapon. And while Worthy was technically correct that Smothers had never testified in court, she didn't mention the fact that when he said he wanted to testify, her office blocked it. After the prepared remarks, when the media got a chance to ask questions, things got a little contentious. I wanted to know about her decision to not charge Smothers with the four murders on Runyon that he had confessed to, and why she cut a deal with him for second-degree murder when she had overwhelming evidence of his guilt and he wasn't even fighting the charges. Why did you cut a deal with him when he was freely admitting to all these cases? He pled guilty to how many places? I don't know how many cases he pled guilty to. The eight. You ignored the four and decided not to charge against those, but he, you, you believed him on the other eight. You know, I would really appreciate it. I'm sorry, and maybe, maybe it's not your way, but don't tell me what I'm not concerned and what I am concerned well, about. Well, you didn't charge him, okay. so I mean, I'm assuming you, so, didn't, you didn't believe him on those four. I'm not, so I'm not no, speculating I'm not sure how many... Smothers with the four murders he confessed to, but you charged him with the other eight that he did confess to. I'm so not, my apologies, I'm not speculating. I'm assuming since you didn't charge him, you ignored those, right? It is not exact, it's not, um, I don't know how many murders you want someone to test to plead guilty to if you have, well, I think it was four. So I don't know how many he pled guilty to, but there's a, a sentence you're going to get, and that's life in, in prison without the possibility of parole, or maybe it was uh, numbers that we gave him. The mood was completely different outside Tominko Sanford Timmons' house when her son finally came home. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. You look good. You look good. You look good. You look good. Oh, man, you look good. You look good. Devontae, how are you feeling now that you've been released? Good. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's it like being home? Um, good. <laughs> wonderful, oh, actually. Okay. Wonderful, actually. It feels um, it feels wonderful. You know, I just um, want to try to put this behind me and move on with my life and move forward with my family. You know, take one day at a time, one step at a time, and just go from there. Devante Sanford is a free man, but there are still so many unanswered questions about his case. Maybe some of those questions will be answered in court. Sanford has a pending federal lawsuit against Talbert, Detective Russell, and the city of Detroit. City attorneys declined to be interviewed for this podcast. Talbert was fired as Flint's police chief in 2016, and three years later he was hired as a deputy chief in Highland Park, Michigan. But in the summer of 2019, after multiple protests, he resigned. Sanford has had his share of troubles as he tries to adjust to life on the outside. The year after he got out of prison, he was shot in the leg in Detroit. He moved to Arizona after he was awarded $400,000 from a state fund that pays exonerated ex-prisoners. In 2018, he was arrested for shooting a rifle in the desert. He pleaded guilty to reckless discharge of a firearm, and he was sentenced to probation. He's so lost today. He's lost. Devontae is mentally, physically scarred for life. He will never be the same. He will never be the same. He will never be the same. In our next episode, we'll look at the rampant problems that led to the shutdown of the Detroit Crime Lab and, according to innocent advocates, dozens of wrongful convictions. And thank you for listening to Sins of Detroit. (laughs) 